Good morning once again. Glad to have all of you here. Uh, Something that I wanted to let you know about, something I forgot to include in the announcements, was uh, part of our renovation plan for this building was to include a mother's room. I want to clarify something. Moms, y'all are always welcome to have your littles with you in the service, okay? I mean that from the bottom of my heart. We don't mind a baby coo and kids whispering every now and then. That's fine, okay? Please bring your kiddos, but uh, just if you want it. We do have a mother's room downstairs. It's what's called the Bellingrath Parlor. That's where the nursery has been up until today, okay? So we've got a couple little rockers and gliders in there. We've got the service being live streamed down there right now. And so that's for you moms, if you need to feed your babies, if you've got a cantankerous little one, or maybe some sensory issues going on there, that is available for you and your family. And that is for the moms, okay? So guys, we're not going to go hang out in there with our coffees, okay? That's for the moms to enjoy. But uh, right now, if you've got your copy of God's Word, turn with me, if you would, to John's Gospel, chapter 4. John's Gospel, chapter 4. So we are continuing a series, and we're in week two of a series called The Signs. And what we're doing is we are studying these key miracles in John's gospel that Jesus performed. And these miracles teach us a few things. I believe ultimately the the miracles are a sign to who Jesus is. In Matthew's gospel, we learn that Jesus is Emmanuel. Which means, that's right, God with us. He is the Son of God. Jesus was no ordinary man. He was no ordinary teacher or rabbi. And so as he comes along and he starts performing these miracles, it's a sign saying, hey, I'm not like you, okay? I'm different. I'm the Messiah. I was sent here to rescue you. And so all of these miracles are really signs for us. And in our text For today, we're going to encounter a topic that really we all deal with when it comes to how we interact with God, and that has to deal with the matter of faith. Okay, so if you watch movies or you watch TV shows, uh, I kind of cringe a little bit inside when they portray a church or they portray a Christian praying because the reason I cringe is because a lot of times Hollywood presents faith as just a faith in something. Or a faith in humanity or a faith in this kind of vague sense. But that's not the kind of faith that we see in the scriptures. Uh, One time I was selling a vehicle. And uh, the gentleman that wanted to buy my car, he, he said, hey, would you take a check? And I was like, no, I'm afraid I can't do that. And he knew I was a pastor. And he said, well, for a man of God, you don't have a lot of faith. And I just kind of smiled and I looked at him. I was like, I have faith in Jesus. I don't really know you. Uh, So the truth is, we don't just have faith for the sake of having faith. We have faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. Amen, church? And the Bible actually defines faith for us. Check out Hebrews 11.1. I believe we've got that. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, That is a very important definition of faith. It is assurance of things hoped for and conviction of things not seen. It's not a hope and a prayer like, oh, I, I hope. 
It's not that kind of hope. It's a solid hope. It's assurance. It's conviction. And why is faith so important? Well, if you drop down a few verses in that same chapter in Hebrews 11, it says this in verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We believe in one God. We believe that there is only one God. And we believe that this one God has made a way for you and me to come into a right standing, into fellowship with him. And it is impossible to enjoy that fellowship with God Almighty apart from faith. Apart from faith in Christ. And we learn here it's impossible to please God without faith in him. So this morning we're going to be talking about faith. Maybe for you, faith has been a bit of a journey. Maybe it's been a a struggle. Maybe even today you're wrestling with your faith. Maybe belief in God, doubting his existence, doubting what Christ did for you, doubting the fact that you can be saved. Maybe that's where you are today. Wherever you are today. As we interact with God's word, I pray you're encouraged. And I pray that wherever you are in that faith process, that you're able to move forward in faith. So with that being said, let's go to God's word together. Here at Downtown Church, we like to stand for the initial reading of God's word. If you would stand for the honor of the reading of God's word. John's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning in verse 46, reads... So he came to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go. Your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on the way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Just prior to this passage, there's a story where Jesus encounters a woman. It was a Samaritan woman. He he encounters her at the water well. When Jesus encounters this woman, he doesn't do any miracles. He doesn't do anything fantastic in that way. But he does tell her some things that no one else knew about her. And he reveals that he's aware that she has had inappropriate relationships with several men that were not her husband. Jesus reveals this information to her that he's aware. And then he calls her to believe in him, the Christ the Messiah, and this woman does. 
She hears the word of the Lord and she responds with repentance and belief. And so that woman took Jesus at his word. So Jesus leaves that area and then he comes back home. He comes back to the region of Galilee. And at first it looks like it's a, it's a grand welcome for Jesus. In verse 45 it says they welcomed him, which, which sounds nice. You know, Jesus comes back home. And you're like, hey, it's Jesus from down the street. And everyone's welcoming him. But if you pay attention to the context, the reason that they're celebrating Jesus coming back home is because they've heard. They've heard what Jesus has done. If you recall in our study last week, we learned that Jesus turned water into wine at this big wedding feast. And at the time, the, uh, the participants there, they didn't realize they were drinking that good wine that Jesus had just converted from water to wine. But then they heard and words started getting out. A small group of servants were aware and they started spreading the word. Jesus did this. They ran out of wine, but Jesus did this. And so word is spreading. And so the region of Galilee is like, hey, we want to see some stuff. Show us some magic tricks. Basically, is what they were implying. Which is why the gospel writers clue us in to the words of Jesus where it says, a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. In our text today, Jesus encounters another individual, a man in Galilee. And what I appreciate about this story is I believe we see a progression of faith in this man's life. And so in this story, we first see what you might call a situational faith. That's our first point for today, a situational faith. Look at the latter part of verse 46 going through verse 48, which reads, And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Okay, so Jesus encounters this man that John lets us know is an official. Now there's a lot of people that immediately associate this story with another story in the Gospels where Jesus heals the centurion's son. And in that story, the centurion famously declares to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so there's some similarities. A dad, a sick son needing healing. But there's enough differences for us to know that these aren't the same stories. And so the official hears Jesus is in town. And he's heard the rumors too. He's heard that he turned water into wine immediately. No process. He just did it. And he knew this guy can do things that no one else can do. And this man was in a desperate situation. And you know what? You and I would be desperate too if we were in this situation. According to this story, this man has a son that's sick. Not with strep throat, not, not something simple. This was a life-taking illness. And this boy is literally on his deathbed. And this man is absolutely desperate. Sometimes we can find ourselves in similar circumstances. Something awful comes along. 
Something terrible comes into our life. And oftentimes it forces us to look up. And it forces us to call out to God. And that's exactly what's happening with this official, this man. He's desperate and he reaches out to Jesus. And so what we're seeing here is this kind of begins with what you might call a situational faith. But I don't believe God wants us to stay in that kind of faith. I don't think God wants us to just come to him when times get tough. To just come to him when we're desperate. That might be a catalyst for you pursuing the Lord. Or it might be a catalyst for following him as you should. But the Lord does not want us to stay in that situational faith. If this is where we stay over time... I think we actually see that this is dishonoring to God. If we only come to him when times get tough, it can be absolutely dishonoring to God. Look at verse 48 here. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So at first, it sounds like in our English reading here, it sounds like he's looking directly at the man and just talking to this man. Unless you see signs and wonders... You will not believe. But if you do a word study and you look at the original language, Koine Greek, you'll see that the word you here is plural. And Jesus is not just talking to this man. He's talking about that whole region, his whole hometown area. He's saying, unless you see signs and wonders, unless this area sees these fantastic things, then you won't believe. Keep in mind, just prior to this, Jesus had that encounter with the Samaritan woman. She hears the words of Jesus, and she responds. She believes. She repents. And then he comes back home. And what's he greeted with? Yay, he's here. Now show us some stuff. We'll believe if you show us some stuff. Do some cool things. And Jesus is basically rebuking them. I think another term comes to mind when we think about the situational faith. It might be a sort of conditional belief. And maybe you're suffering from conditional belief today. I'll believe in you, God, if you heal my son. I'll believe in you, God, if I get this job. I'll believe in you, God, if you get, let us get this house that we love. We want that house. If we get that house, I'll believe in you. I'll believe in you if fill in the blank. There's honestly a lot of problems with that mindset. But to name one of those problems, situational faith can be deceiving to man. It can be deceiving to man. So if you're requiring signs and wonders and these fantastic things in order to believe in God, there's something you need to be aware of. God's not the only one that can do fantastic things. There's another power at work in this world. There are darkness and principalities and authorities according to Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. One time I was talking with a young lady and she was sharing with me that she has visions And these visions are very vivid. And in the vision, she could see the future for people that she knew and people that she came into contact with. And she she claimed that she could do this often on numerous occasions. 
I don't know if she was lying or not, but I did ask her a few questions. I was like, well, that's really interesting. And I said, you mind if I ask, do you believe in God? She said, well, I'm a spiritual person. I believe in gods, plural. I think there's many gods. It's like, okay. Do you believe in Jesus? Mm, not really. You know, I think he existed, but I don't think he's as important as what some people think. And so I, I looked at her and I told her, I said, I want to share something with you in love. There's only two sources for the kind of power you're describing. There's the power of God, and then there's the power of Satan. And I wholeheartedly believe that Satan is at work in this world today. And according to what you've shared with me, I don't believe you're experiencing the power of God because you've denied Christ, his son, the way, the truth, and the life. And when I shared that with her, her eyes got really big. And it was just this eye-opening moment for her that, wait a second, do you think the devil's doing something through me? I was like, look, I'm not going to tell you exactly what's going on here. I don't know, but it sounds like it. And through several conversations over a period of time, this, this young lady gave her life to Jesus. And she's one of us now, church. Praise God. Which is encouraging. But make no mistake, Satan is powerful. He really is. And I think he does these fantastic things in our world still today. And he does that to deceive us, to deceive people in this world, to get them looking elsewhere other than up. Let me share with you a text from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. So here's what we're learning there. There are many people in this world who fall prey to the trap. Who fall prey to this trap that Satan sets where he does these fantastic signs and wonders, where there's literally a wicked deception going on in our world, where people can do these fantastic things and it looks so real. It's because it is. But it doesn't mean it's the power of God. And so we've got to be careful that we filter, that we run everything through the filter of the gospel of Jesus. And if that does not cut it, then that reveals it is not of Christ. It is not of the power of the Spirit. If you get to the root of all of this, I think an encouragement that we can take away here is do not put conditions on your faith to God. Do not say, I will believe if, or I will believe only because I saw this. At the end of the day, we need to be like that woman at the well who took Jesus at his word. We need to be people who can read this book and believe it for what it says. Amen, church? So this man, he's in a situational faith. I believe Jesus peers into his heart and sees this immediately, which is why Jesus calls it out. And then, after this point, after Christ calls this out in this man, I think we see a marked transition I think we see a shift in his faith to what we might call a saving faith. 
Look at John's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Okay, keep in mind, here's a guy who's used to seeing people do whatever he says. He's an official, which means he works for the government, and he's got authority, and he's used to saying things and things happening. And so he comes up to Jesus, and he says something, and he tells Jesus to do something. He says, sir, come down before my child dies. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, I'm not going to go with you. Why don't you go? You go home, and your child will live. And what does the man do? He, he does what Jesus said. He, he goes home. He believed what Jesus said. And I think we see three basic steps here in this process of saving faith for this man. I think they're still applicable today. Number one, he hears the word. You hear the word. So before this man could enter into a saving faith, he first had to hear the word of Jesus. He had to have something to stand on. And by the way, the same is true for us. If we want to be saved, if we are going to be saved, we've got to hear the word of the Lord in order to respond. And I'm not talking about an audible voice from heaven. Praise God, we've been given the word of the Lord. Amen, church? Check out this text from Romans 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Here's what that means. You cannot have a saving faith apart from the word of God. You can't. You cannot have a saving faith apart from hearing the word of Christ and what he's done for you. Because faith, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Maybe you remember where you were, what was going on in your life, what was going on that day or night when you heard what Christ did for you. Maybe you had heard that story a thousand times before of what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection and the blood and all of that. Maybe you heard that growing up for years, but there was this one time you heard it and you really heard it. When you heard that gospel in a real way where you're ready to respond, I believe you experienced the second step if you're truly born again. You believe and obey the word. You believe and obey the word. Look at John 4 verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. I think when this man initially approached Jesus, it was really a last-ditch effort. They had tried everything, probably. They tried every medicine they had access to. They tried the local town doctor. Maybe they've tried the home remedies, and nothing is working. And so he's out of options. He comes to Jesus, kind of with this, what do I have to lose mentality. I hope Jesus can heal my son. And that's not a bad thing in and of itself. 
to come to Jesus with this hope that he can do something like that. But this man's hope was made concrete in belief in Jesus. So we know he believed, one, because the text says it, but also what he did next. So Jesus says, go home and your son will live. And that's exactly what he does. So back in the 80s, there was this pastor by the name of Peter Lord. And he once said this. He once said, what we really believe, we practice. All the rest is just religious talk. I think that's so true. What we really believe, you'll see follow through in our lives. Everything else is just spiritual mumbo jumbo. We're, we're just words. We're talking. Unless you put it into practice. Here's the point. Don't just say you believe in Jesus. Show him. Show him that you really believe in him. Take his word. Read his word and receive it like the woman at the well did. You believe. You repent. You follow. You receive it like this official did. You believe. You repent. You follow. You obey. True belief is always backed by obedience. Amen? The final step we see this man take as he's beginning to experience the saving faith is number three, you rest in the word. This part of the story is really interesting to me. So this man's home was, if you look at a map, it was roughly 16, 17 miles away from where he encounters Jesus. And so there's a 16, 17-mile difference, and then Jesus tells the man, hey, go home, and your son will live. And there's a couple of things worth mentioning here. Keep in mind, this is a dad. His son is dying, literally dying, literally could die any time. He's instructed by Jesus, go home, and he does, but he doesn't go right away. And the reason we know that is because the timing of all of this. The Bible says that he goes, he shows up there the next day. If you look in the text, you might have a little subscript next to the time that's mentioned in these verses. It's about 1 p.m. That's when he encounters Jesus. But he's probably about four hours away from his home if he starts walking. Okay, that's the slowest it's going to be. But he doesn't show up until the next day, which clues us into the fact he probably rested. He probably stayed the night somewhere there in Galilee and rested and then woke up the next day and went. Let me ask you a question. If your son was dying and you have an encounter with someone at 1 p.m., what are you going to do if you know your son is dying? You're going to move quick, right? You're going to get to your son as quickly as possible, except that's not what happens. This guy does something different. He stays overnight, it seems. And if that is the case, there's only one logical reason he would do that. He believed. He really believed what Jesus said. He really believed that he would show up the next day to his son, to his whole family, and so the guy rests in the words of Jesus. 
the Bible actually has a theme of resting in the Lord and resting in his promises and resting in his word. And it's not talking about a spiritual nap. It's not that kind of rest. You might be mapping out your Sunday afternoon nap right now. That's not what this means to rest in the Lord, although I love a nap, okay? Here's what this means. Look at Psalm 37, verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. This is not talking about a physical sleep. It's talking about a state of your soul where your soul rests in God. I wonder if you're experiencing that rest. I hope you are. The Christian faith is not a religion of do's and don'ts. The Christian faith is about finding rest in Jesus. Yes, there's do's and don'ts, but it's for your good. And it's for God's glory. And he wants you to find rest. I want to encourage you to rest in a couple of ways. One is rest in his promises. Rest in his promises. It is so cool to be able to pick up this book every morning and to thumb through the word of God and to soak in these promises from God that you can rest in just like this guy did. He heard the word, he received it, and he's like, got it, that's great. I'm going to go take a nap, and I'm going to see my boy tomorrow. We can rest in the promises of God. I would also encourage you to rest in gospel hope. We have hope, church. He wants us to find rest for our weary souls, and we find that in Jesus. Amen? We finally see this man experiences a sustaining faith. Look at John 41, beginning in verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. All right, so track with me here. 1 p.m. the day before, this man has an encounter with Jesus, and he believes what Jesus says. He believes. He believes that he's going to go home and see his son living and doing well and healed. But then in verse 53, it's almost like the gospel writer, the apostle John here, is revealing a new kind of belief. In fact, look what it says in verse 53. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. So in verse 50, the day prior, he believed Jesus. He believed that it was true that his son would be healed. He gets home the next day, and now he himself believes. I think this is when this man really comes to faith in Jesus. I think this is when he was really saved. And it wasn't just him. It wasn't just himself. I love what that verse says. And all his household has that same belief. All his household is like, yep, he's the Lord. We believe in him too. And they start loving Jesus. They start following Jesus. Can you imagine 
what this was like for this family. The dad waking up that next morning, making the journey home, four hours. I can only imagine the thoughts racing through his mind. He gets close to the house and he's met by his servants and he, he's, he's eager. Did it work? What time was he healed? My goodness, that's exactly when I was talking to Jesus. It's so cool when we have testimonies like that today. I've literally had people ask, hey, what time did you pray for me? What time did Life Group pray for me? What time did, you see? And it's at that time the Lord answers prayers. We still see God work like this. Amen? Maybe you or your family, maybe you've come to faith because of some crazy event where it was just clearly the Lord. Maybe it was a a miraculous story even of sorts. And if that's the case, praise God, he, he is good like that. If you think through the Gospels, and you think through each of these miracles that Jesus performed, there were a lot of people that benefited from these miracles. You had blind men, blind, that could see. Lame men that could walk. Thousands, thousands sitting on a hillside waiting on a meal. Jesus multiplies fish, multiplies bread. Many at this wedding feast tasted the wine. I don't think they knew at the time, but they found out later, oh, that was Jesus. Many people experienced the temporary benefits of Jesus But at the end of his ministry, if you fast forward to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, after Christ ascends into heaven, you know how many believers were gathered at that time? 120. That's interesting. 120 Christians. Where are the thousands? Where are the thousands of people that had benefited from these miracles? I think that clues us into the fact that many experienced the temporary benefits of Jesus, but they had not experienced the eternal impact of Jesus. I think we still see this today. I think there are people that surround themselves with Christians because they like moral societies. I think there's people that send their kids to Christian schools because they like the morality of it all. I think there's people who want to be around Christians, maybe even join a church because they want the community aspect. They want the casserole when their loved one passes. Like there's something to that. And I love that we do that, by the way. There are many people in our world today that have experienced the temporary effect of Christ in this world, but they really need the eternal impact of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord through sincere faith in Jesus. We church, we we have assurance of things hoped for. We have conviction of things not seen. May that be evidenced in our lives. And can I challenge you to do something? Share that. Share with someone about that faith. We use that verbiage every now and then, share your faith with someone. 
And maybe you're thinking like this wooden gospel presentation, like I memorized these five verses, and you know what? That can be effective in and of itself. Please use the Word of God. But you know what can also be effective? A testimony. A testimony of someone that has faith in God. A testimony of what God has done in your life and how he's transformed you. May we be witnesses to this world. Amen, church. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. As we've been reading about this one man's journey of faith, I think a fair question to ask is, where are you? Where are you in your faith journey? Maybe this morning you're wrestling. You're struggling with doubt. You're struggling with maybe you haven't seen God answer a prayer the way you wanted him to. Maybe you're stuck in that situational faith stage where you're coming to him when things are hard but not the rest. Father, you see all of our hearts simultaneously right now. You looked into the heart of that official and knew exactly where he was in his faith journey. Lord, we ask, we invite your spirit to look in each of our hearts this morning to see where we are. And Lord, highlight in us if we are lacking in that assurance if we are lacking in that conviction. Maybe there's someone here today that just needs to repent because they've not been living by faith in you. God, regardless of where we are, maybe there's even someone here that needs to give their life to you today. We ask that your spirit would move freely in us. We ask all of this in Christ's name.